What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on my main platform being Twitter at Deep Dive FF, Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, YouTube at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, even TikTok at Deep Dive FF. And as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. With that being said, let's get into the content. What's up, divers? Welcome into another episode of Deep Dive Fantasy Football. Week 2 is in the books. Hopefully you guys saw my waiver post on Twitter, on Instagram. I will be hopefully doing that every single week as long as I stay on top of it. And I gave you the percentage of fab I was willing to spend on every single player. If you want to go higher than that, you go higher than that. That's just what I would usually be spending on those players. But the biggest thing in the waiver posts is going to be the order that I post the players in, in the list, because I I order it by my favorite. So this week, my favorite waiver pickup was Rondale Moore, then Tony Pollard, then Henry Ruggs. Those are my top three pickups of the week. Now we will get into what we learned from week two. Got a lot. We're going to travel all the way back to the Thursday night football game, Washington first New York. Man, J.D. McKissick, you've got to be kidding me. He was in on the entire two-minute drill and stole the touchdown from Antonio Gibson. That was super frustrating. It was very, very frustrating, but it gives us a window of opportunity here to capitalize on. Antonio Gibson is going to be a good buy-low right now because he's still getting good work. And he was just a victim of circumstance. They did have an opportunity or two to sub in Gibson for McKissick in that two-minute drive, but the offense was rolling, and McKissick was playing fine, so there was no reason to pull him out in that two-minute drill. So that's kind of how that ended up happening. But I'm not worried about Gibson getting vultured at the goal line of all places by J.D. McKissick because, let's remember, Antonio Gibson is 6'2", or possibly 6'3". 230 pounds. He is a monster, and he's plenty built for red zone carries, especially goal line carries. Terry McLaurin, he looks really good, and he's going to be fine with Taylor Heineke. He got a lot of targets. The targets weren't too bad either, and Terry had a great day. Saquon, it looks like his explosivity, his explosivity is back, and it's making him worth a play always, every week, despite the matchup. And despite the fact that he may still not be 100% next week, you still pretty much have to play him because all it takes is one touch for Saquon that he could take for 60 yards for a touchdown, and that'll make the week for him. Daniel Jones and the New York Giants were running RPO very well, and we'll see how long it lasts. If they're able to run it to the success that they did against Washington, which is why they were able to move the ball and put up points against such a good defense and such a good defensive line, If they're able to do that over the course of the season, Daniel Jones will be good for fantasy because they'll have rushing yards, and the offense will be better in general. If it fails, if it flails out, and they're no longer able to do that, then Daniel Jones will go back to being somebody you don't want to play for fantasy, and the offense will continue to look very bad. So we'll see if it's something that teams are going to be able to pick up on and defend very quickly because it's not like Daniel Jones is Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts and has the legs to make it viable if the defense can kind of see it coming right before it happens. So we'll see. But that was pretty interesting. I thought the Giants coaching staff 
did a good job. Jason Garrett did a good job calling the offense. So props to you guys there. Now let's move to the New Orleans-Carolina game. I'm not going to talk too much about the Saints. It's hard to judge the Saints on a game when they were missing eight coaches. I will say, though, Jameis is showing to be Jameis, and that's highs and lows, unpredictable. You don't know when he's going to be good. Sometimes he's good versus a great defense and horrible versus a bad defense. It's just going to be frustrating, and that's why I didn't really want to partake in the Jameis sweepstakes last week in the waivers. Now, looking at the Carolina side of the ball, Robbie, he got better usage, six targets. So Robbie Anderson, maybe we don't need to freak out as much, but that's still pretty pretty bad. I mean, it's clear that DJ Moore is the number one, and that is unlike the past. Last year, you just pick a week. Sometimes Robbie Anderson was the one, sometimes it was DJ Moore. There was a couple in there that Curtis Samuel was the number one. Well, DJ Moore is the clear-cut number one now, so it's good for him. Robbie's going to be, like, at best a flex play, and a lot of times you're going to want to just keep him on your bench. Chicago versus Cincy. Darnell Mooney, he continues a very healthy target share, leading the team in targets. Justin Fields got heart, baby. Justin Fields got heart. He had a fumble, which, you know, not great, but he had a fumble, and he got up. He got clobbered. He got up raced over to the ball and recovered it himself amidst like three defenders. So that was awesome. There are some other running quarterbacks that people like to compare fields to that didn't have such heart during a very meaningful fumble in a possible Super Bowl. You guys know what I'm talking about. But Justin Fields, I just wanted to mention that because that was really nice. He got his debut. He definitely struggled, but most rookies do struggle. And this was the week for it. Trevor Lawrence struggled. Zach Wilson struggled, which we'll get to. Jamar Chase had a nice touchdown catch, but Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins had double the targets that Jamar Chase had. And this is not as big of a discrepancy as as I was expecting, but everyone was already ready to crown Chase the number one for the year after week one. And a a lot of people were doing it preseason. I was not about that. And Tyler Boyd had a 14-point PPR game. That's safe. That's basically what I'm expecting from him all season. And then T. Higgins was great as well. So we had the Boyd bounce back. That's what we were talking about, hopefully having this week after a dud last week, and we got it. Expect that to continue because since he still did not throw the ball a lot, they still didn't. Joe Burrow only had, I think, 30 passes. He's still going to get up to the 40, just about 40 per game as they face teams that they're not going to be so close to in terms of scoring. Then we've got San Fran versus Philly. Jalen Hurts, he had a very bad game NFL-wise, but he still hit 20 fantasy points, and it's because of his rushing ability. That's what has made him worth the ADP that he was drafted at. A lot of people say, you know, Jalen Hurts isn't good. I'm not going to draft him. That's fine, except who's going to replace him? If he's not going to get replaced, even if he's not great for the team, which I'm not saying that is confirmed. It was just a bad game. But if he ends up not being a great quarterback for the Eagles, he's still going to be a mighty fine quarterback for fantasy football. So just keep that in mind. Devonta Smith, he got the big target share I was expecting. He just didn't produce with it. This opportunity was still there, though. Go get him because this is your chance because he had a bad game. So go get him while you can. He's another good buy low. Debo Samuel is the only 49er I feel comfortable playing. For some reason, their running backs go down so often. Like, it's ridiculous. And this is a yearly thing. I don't know what it is, what what the training staff 
is doing up there, what the medical facility is like. It's probably neither of those things. I'm just pulling stuff out of the air. Maybe it's the practice field. Who knows what is going on, but San Fran, always the running back position is a problem, and the wide receiver position is not that much better either. We'll see how long it takes before Debo goes down because it seems like that happens every year. Then we've got Miami versus Buffalo. Jalen Waddle, wide receiver one for the Dolphins, confirmed as predicted. A lot of people were on Devontae Parker. A lot of people were on Will Fuller. Now, Will Fuller, we aren't sure yet. And maybe it's possible Will Fuller comes back, plays for the Dolphins, and becomes the number one. But I think it's pretty safe to say Waddle's going to be the number one for the season for the Dolphins. He looks really good. He had the best target share. Singletary, Devin Singletary on Buffalo. He's showing clearly he's the better back than Zach Moss. Now, both of them had a, a very good touchdown count. Singletary had one big touchdown run. Zach Moss had two touchdowns. And it's pretty funny because that's not probably ever going to happen again. They just had three touchdowns combined to both of them. They have had like six touchdowns combined last year. So you can kind of see the problem here. That's why I don't touch the running backs for Buffalo. Josh Allen could have had a much better game, but Josh Allen was not the one who ran the you know, ran the touchdowns. He, he's not the one who ran the ball into the end zone. And that's why he didn't have a great day. Usually, that is what he's doing, and that's a huge part of why he's beast for fantasy and why he's an elite fantasy quarterback. And that's why Zach Moss and Devin Singletary are somebody that I want no part of. Then we've got Denver versus Jacksonville. So let's talk about Trevor Lawrence. He didn't look horrible. He definitely had some really good throws, but he's still struggling. LaVisca Chenault, for some reason, he's getting the targets, but he has a super low average depth of target. So his targets are not far down the field. So even the ones that he does catch, he's not going to get much yardage on. And a lot of the passes to him were pretty inaccurate. For me, LaVisca is a hold. You're not going to get good value from him selling. So don't sell him. And you could buy him if you want. But I'm starting to get worried enough where I'm not going to tell you guys to go out and buy him. But if you have him, hold him. I'm holding him in plenty of leagues. You guys know he's one of the people that I have the most of. So hold LaVisca. He also has to get an MRI on his shoulder. So we'll see what happens there. But he should be good to go. Marvin Jones had a solid game. Some very nice catches. I was too low on him in the offseason. James Robinson getting the most running back touches. Thank you. Thank you, Urban Meyer. I'm not in the you're an idiot camp as much as I was before. Still a little bit, still a little bit, um, but we'll see. You have only been in the league for two years, or I mean <laughs> two years, two weeks so far, so I'm not going to rush to any crazy judgments. A lot of us have the tendency to do that. We tell ourselves we're not going to make quick judgments when the season starts in the first couple weeks, and we all do it every single year despite saying we won't, so I'm going to try and hold back from that. going to try to change that a little bit. Javonta Williams is officially over Melvin Gordon. If we're only two weeks into the season and the rookie is outproducing the vet, you got the rookie and the vet, you know what I'm saying? And the rookie's doing more, then it's clear, and he's being more efficient and looks better, it's clear that's going to continue and only get better for the rookie. So Javonta Williams, good to go, baby. Cortland Sutton, he went crazy, 150 yards, 12 targets. I definitely was not thinking he would go that nuts with Jerry Judy out and Noah Fant a little bit banged up and whatnot, but he did. I guess horrible secondary though, right? I just expected the running backs, Javonta and Gordon, I thought they would have a bigger impact on the game and less receiving for the Broncos, but they actually threw up more than I would have expected. The Jets versus the Patriots. James White is proving to be a consistent PPR flex. 
Damian Harris had a sick touchdown run. It's one you have to see. If you haven't seen it, look it up. The Patriots eliminated the Jets' best weapon, as predicted in the DMs. A lot of people DM me. You that's listening may have been one of those people about Corey Davis this week. I said sit him. The Patriots tried to eliminate the best weapon, and they do it successfully pretty much every week. And the only significant weapon for the Jets was Corey Davis. He was the third targeted guy, and he had two targets, his first two targets, that ended up being interceptions. So they eliminated Corey Davis. Remember that. Whenever you see the Patriots as a matchup against one of your fantasy players, think, is this the best offensive player on this team? If so, I should probably not play him this week. Now, if it's a running back, it's a little bit different because guaranteed volume. But if it's a wide receiver or a tight end, then you probably want to you know, look at your other options. Elijah Moore season may be soon. He got a good amount of targets. We'll see how he picks up going forward. Pittsburgh versus the Raiders. Najee Harris is starting to get the receiving role I predicted. He got five targets. That's awesome. Love to see it. I was kind of expecting, and I believe he caught all of them. I was expecting this to be the case from week one. It wasn't, but hopefully this trend continues now because he is a good receiver and it'll help him be better for fantasy, help the offense in Pittsburgh as well. Chase Claypool, I'm sorry to say it, but he's still got weak hands. He's still got weak hands. A lot of people love Chase Claypool. Oh, this guy's like Mapletron. He's going to be Megatron. Slow it down. Slow it down. I was saying it all offseason. I put out a LaVisca, who, I mean, not a great example because he's kind of struggling right now too. Not himself, but for fantasy purposes. LaVisca Chenault versus Chase Claypool Dynasty. And I went LaVisca. Pretty much like 80% of the population when I posted that was on the Claypool side. So that's the reason for my posting. But Chase Claypool last year was one of the least efficient rookie wide receivers if you take data from like the first 20 rookie wide receivers selected last year. That's pretty rough. He had the worst contested catch rate. He doesn't create separation. And that's still the case. He could have easily, easily had three more receptions for another 80, 90 yards in that game with balls that hit his hands that he's just not bringing down. You've got to bring those down if your profile is a big 50-50 contested ball wide receiver. If that's your profile, you've got to be able to actually do that. And he's not able to do that right now. So he's a, he's overrated. He really is. Now, he could fix it and become awesome. He's got a great body type and he's got good potential, but that potential has not been realized. The Raiders are finally learning. Talk about potential. The Raiders are finally learning how to use Henry Ruggs, which is very promising. He had over 100 yards, seven targets, or maybe like a couple more than seven. Um, but I know towards the end of the game, he had seven targets. Henry Ruggs is over Brian Edwards for me rest of season. A lot of people may think, oh, Brian Edwards is probably safer. He's going to have a higher floor, get more consistent targets. I don't know why you people think that. Like, is it just because he's a bigger, slower guy and we think he's just going to get like consistent targets because of it? I, I don't know. Maybe it's because people think he's like Michael Thomas and Michael Thomas got consistent targets. Not really sure what the reasoning is there. I think Henry Ruggs' floor is just as high as Brian Edwards, except the ceiling is much higher. So I would much rather have Henry Ruggs. They're finally getting him the ball, other than all, all the like two or three ways that they ever thought of last year and last week. So finally, Ruggs is getting used in a better light. Then we've got the Rams versus the Colts. It's safe to say at this point that Cooper Cup is over Robert Woods. Cooper Cup has a 37.5% target share so far. That is ridiculous. 
Last year, the wide receiver one over the course of the season had about a 33% target share. Now, Cup is not going to keep this up, obviously, which means you could make an argument for him to be a sell high. I wouldn't. I would just keep him. But Robert Woods, on the other hand, might be a buy low because Cup is not going to get the 37.5 target share he's getting right now. It's probably going to come down to like maybe 30. It could come down. Honestly, the range of outcomes is immense. It could come down to 25% or it could come down to only 32, 33%. But it's going to come down. And I would bet that the percentage that Cup loses goes to Robert Woods. That would be my bet. So Woods is a decent buy low right now. Darrell Henderson, he dominated the running back shares. Not really a RBBC over there. Michael Pittman, finally, there we go. Bounce back game. 12 targets, 8 receptions, 123 yards. Love it. And then just to touch on something that happened in the game, not really fantasy related too much, but the ridiculous punt mishap touchdown. Oh, come on. Are you serious? You got to be joking. Like, that completely ruined my betting line. Then we've got Houston versus Cleveland. Brandon Cooks is always underrated, and he was again, as we've always talked about in the offseason. Davis Mills loves him too, because when Tyrod went down, Brandon Cooks, I checked. I made sure to check. Tyrod went down, Brandon Cooks had five targets. He finished the game with 14 targets. So he got nine targets from Davis Mills. And Davis Mills passed just around 20 times. So he almost got half of the passes from Davis Mills. And here's another crazy stat. Brandon Cooks, over the course of the game, had 14 targets. The next most targeted Texan had two targets. Two targets. Brandon Cooks was seven times more targeted than the second leading target getter in the offense. That is ridiculous. It's not going to continue, obviously, but it's clear that he is the number one and the go-to, and he may be one of the people that has the biggest target shares, and that's something that's never happened for him in his entire career. He's never been a huge target share guy. If that happens for him this year, watch out. He's going to be great, and he has been so far. Tampa Bay versus Atlanta, I honestly don't have that much notes. I really don't. There's not too much to take away from this game. I think everyone's overreacting to Corderell Patterson. That's why he was not in my top three waiver pickups. I think that the wide receivers are going to pretty much be like this all season. The only note that I have is apparently nobody wants to cover Gronk because Gronk, Gronk is always open, and that's why he started the first two games with four total touchdowns, and I believe he's the tight end one unless he's just barely behind Kelsey. So Gronk's been ridiculous. It's not going to continue either. So maybe you could sell him high. He'll probably be a top five tight end already just because of the points he's put up, though. Especially with George Kittle struggling. Arizona versus Minnesota. Rondale Moore, he's already the number two. He had eight targets, seven receptions, 114 yards. The Arizona running backs, they're not getting enough receiving work to make either of them viable since they're splitting carries, in my opinion. K.J. Osborne had an has a 18.5% target share so far. He is the wide receiver three for Minnesota. He was also in my waivers list. He was my, let's see, one, two. He was my seventh most liked uh, waiver pickup with Fab and and all that good stuff. So KJ Osborne is worth a look in deeper leagues. Then we've got Dallas versus LA. LA as in the charges. CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper will take turns on who is best. I don't think there's a clear-cut number one. I think every week it could be different between CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. Zeke, unfortunately, is in a full-on timeshare now. Not only that, but Tony Pollard looks better. Zeke's contract is probably what's keeping him on the field. Austin Eckler, 
He's getting receiving work again. Let's go. Nine targets, nine receptions. Love it. Mike Williams, he's retaining his big role, so looking very good for Eckler and Mike. Tennessee versus Seattle. Julio played really good. Eight targets, 128 yards. He was cheated out of a touchdown. He could have had an amazing fantasy day, been one of the top scoring receivers. Derrick Henry was ridiculous. 230 yards, three touchdowns. I guess that's acceptable. Tyler Lockett, he's showing you why you just have to start him every week. His booms are worth it. He's got back-to-back in PPR leagues, back-to-back 25-plus point games. The biggest thing for me from this game is that Tennessee is clearly missing offensive coordinator Arthur Smith. Now, the wide receivers were not doing Tannehill any favors. A.J. Brown had a bunch of targets, I think nine, only at three receptions. He had some very big drops that are not normal for A.J. Brown. If A.J. Brown has those catches, maybe Tannehill's day looks really good, and A.J. Brown looks good, and the offense is fine. They still won the game. They still pulled it out. But hopefully, I'm trying not to overreact to the whole Tennessee offense thing because we're two weeks in to them losing such a great mind, an offensive mind in Arthur Smith. So they're probably trying to figure out you know, their new offense, and I'm willing to be patient on it. And I'm willing to hold Tannehill. You guys know I like Tannehill a lot. Tannehill and Stafford were like my favorite quarterbacks to target if you didn't get one of the elite ones when they dropped into like the fifth round. Because Lamar dropped into the fifth round a lot. And that was like when I was finally okay getting an elite quarterback. So if you didn't do that, you probably, based off my advice, got Stafford or Tannehill. Which Stafford is looks great. And I think that's awesome. And that's a great hit. Tannehill, if he keeps doing this, then that's a clear miss, but I think he'll get better. I'm being patient and holding. Then we've got Kansas City versus Baltimore. Marquise Brown, he's putting up solid numbers. He just is. I doubt it continues to this level when Rashad Bateman gets back and the Ravens have game scripts that they dominate in where they're able to just run more and more and more and more and they don't have to throw and Lamar doesn't feel like he has to take some big risks like he does obviously versus Kansas City also I'm so happy for Lamar I was rooting for them to pull out that game I just wanted Lamar to be able to get that chip off his shoulder take the weight off his back and say I can beat the Chiefs and he was able to do so and it was off his call deciding to go for it on that fourth and one and running it himself so I loved it thought that was awesome it ruined my betting line because Baltimore won and I bet on the Chiefs but it's fine. Like, I didn't actually personally, like, put a whole bunch of money on the Chiefs. I'm not allowed to gamble because I'm in Florida. But I like giving the advice to you guys. Anyways, so that was the Kansas City-Baltimore game. The only other thing that I have to talk about really is Clyde. And it was a horrible game fantasy-wise. Absolutely horrible. And for some reason, they didn't throw the ball to the running back position. Clyde got zero targets. For Why? For why? Why is Clyde not getting any targets? That's ridiculous. Only one pass went to the running back position as a whole, and it was Jarek McKinnon. I don't know if that's better or worse. If it's better because, okay, Clyde didn't get targets because they didn't throw to the running back. Okay, that's fine. Or they didn't throw to the running back. What? That's horrible. So it's hard to tell. Then to finally wrap it up, we've got Green Bay versus Detroit. Basically, Quintus Cephas, he looks like the go-to wide receiver for Jared Goff. Everything is the same, same. Jamal Williams, DeAndre Swift splitting. Swift is getting a decent target share. TJ Huckinson is the favorite go-to for Goff. He's looking really good. Basically, what we would expect. Aaron Rodgers was given a lot to Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones had a great day. I was kind of upset about it because I needed 
a touchdown, just one touchdown from Devontae Adams, and there was like five touchdowns to go around, and Devontae didn't get one. I just needed one to win a matchup. But then when I saw the alert of, you know, Aaron Jones was doing it for his dad and all that stuff, I was like, you know what, that's awesome. I'm glad that they let Aaron Jones just take over. So, you know, awesome to awesome job by the Packers there and happy for Aaron Jones and wishing his family well and and all that stuff anyways that wraps up the the uh summary for week two and you guys know that I usually put in all my starts sits all that stuff together I'm gonna split it up this week partially because of my schedule but also because I figured hey Maybe I'll be more accurate this week when it comes to putting my best bets and all that stuff together if I don't do it so early on and if I wait till like Friday when more information comes in on the teams so that I'm more informed and up to date with injuries and stuff before I put bets down. So that's what we're going to do this week. We'll see how it goes. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Deep Dive Fantasy Football. Write a review if you haven't already. Leave a rating for me. Helps immensely. Tell your boys or your girls. Who knows about the podcast and that'd be much appreciated. Good luck in week three. Thanks guys. Peace.